You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with MyAggieNation.com. We got we got the whole crew here, whole whole gang, full house. Start with Alex Miller of the Eagle. Alex, what's going on, man? Not a lot. I got a haircut yesterday. Uh, well, if you're watching on the video, <laughs> isn't that special? We're kind of the uh, the the black hoodie guys today. The, the the professional black hoodie guys today. Zach Taylor, WTAW. How's it going, buddy? Going good, man. And I'm keeping it colorful with a little pink uh, pink polo today. So black black and pink is kind of Valentine'sy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. That okay. works. That's so, exactly I, what we were going for. Right. Some people love love and some people just hate Valentine's Day with all their inner being. Some people feel the same way about the AM men's basketball team. <laughs> Segway. It's it's been a little bit of a rough go. Seven losses for the AM men's basketball team. Probably about five of those expected should have happened not a great one against missouri not a great one against south carolina zach i'm curious what what, what what's what's going on with this basketball team where, where, where do you what do you think is the issue can they recover what's what's the deal here well in a lot of those losses you mentioned it, it came down to being able to finish and you look at a&m's wins in sec play when they started out four and oh even those games, they had comfortable leads and things got real dicey down the stretch and, and one or two even went to overtime. So um, I, I think that I wouldn't say that this is the team that we expected. I wouldn't say that the 4-0 team is what we expected. I think there's something kind of somewhere in the middle that what is what A&M really is. I think right now it is more in their heads than anything. Um, and when you jump out to a 20-point deficit in the first half against LSU. 22. 22-point deficit, but at the half, that was 36. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, I mean, I at that point, you don't really have anybody to blame but your own self. I, I think if you're behind by that much, and we've talked about the football team, you know, and you go back to the old Miss game, it just didn't seem like they were there for the first half. Now, that's not necessarily... Uh, indicative of what this team has been made about all year. And they certainly fight, and they they played a fantastic second half uh, last night against LSU. But I, I to answer your question, I don't really know exactly what's going on. I do know that they keep hearing those numbers add up over and over and over again, and I think that that's playing mentally in their minds. I think if they had been able to stop the streak at at two or three games, that they probably would have won a couple by now. Yeah, Buzz said after the game, they, they should be embarrassed at this point before the ball's even tipped. Alex, what are you seeing from this team? Yeah, you know, kind of like what Zach said, they just can't finish. I mean, they're right there in a lot of these games, you know, uh, Tuesday's game, excuse me. That was kind of an anomaly where they, they weren't really in it. But but in a lot of these games, they're they're right there. They just can't seem to to get that get that final nail in the coffin to to put a put a bow on a win. And, you know, I, I think I think what's maybe hurting them is a lack of a big man. You know, Henry Coleman's mm -hmm. been great for A&M, but they're getting killed on the boards. I mean, in, in SEC play, I mean, they're getting out-rebounded by about three rebounds a game. And I, and I think that's something that Buzz had talked about in, in recent weeks. Um, but, you know, as great as Henry Coleman's been, he's their only big presence, really, that 
that's been able to do anything. Uh, it seems consistently on the boards and, you know, when, when you're facing, when you're facing some of these teams with some really big guys, I mean, LSU's got some big guys. Uh, Missouri had some big guys. Kobe Brown was, I mean, fantastic for them and that win uh, for the Tigers. And then, you know, you're going to face a team on Saturday in Auburn that, you know, Jabari Smith is an incredible player and he's six foot 10 and m doesn't have a guy that can really match up that height necessarily. Um, so, you know, that that's kind of a missing piece. The guard play hasn't been fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, there's spurts of, of really good play. That's just kind of overshadowed by not being able to finish. It seems so. Yeah, well, I'll have a column out coming out tomorrow. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday. It'll be out Thursday. Um, kind of touching on this and the fact that I know there's a lot of people who are really upset with Buzz Williams and his staff for this. And and some of that is merited, but I don't think all of it necessarily is merited. I think that you can argue that Buzz is what the eighth highest paid coach in the country. And this is year three. Pump the brakes on that. This isn't exactly year three. I, I, people can argue all they want that technically it is, but year one was a team that they overachieved expectations because of Josh Nebo. You, you go to the SEC tournament with an outside chance that if somehow they make a little bit of a run, they they might have could have snuck in to the NCAA tournament, but probably if it were a win or two away from getting into the NIT uh, that year. Um, and, and could have done some things in postseason year one, but those got canceled because of COVID last year. I, I'm sorry, any level-headed administrator, barring any kind of real bad institutional dysfunction, is not going to hold last season against a coach. It's just not going to happen. There was too many variables, too many weird things going on. Williams, so that in essence, that really was kind of year one where he had a talent bear program that he was having to adjust to. So what did he do? He went to the transfer portal and he, as uh, my fiance made the great analogy of, he, he went to the white elephant exchange and go, went ahead and, <laughs> and froze those presents. He locked them up. They have a one-time transfer. He got some young talent. He didn't go straight for guys that um, were the most seasoned, but only had a year or two. He gathered in some young talent who are now locked in. That provides some stability. So this is a growth process. When you look at the Henry Coleman's, when you look at the Wade Taylor's, those two guys have talent and they have, if they continue to develop, have the ability to be game-changing players. They're both freshmen right now, COVID freshmen. So I don't think the expectation this year was really necessarily all that high. Yeah, they started 15 and two, but that was a hollow 15 and two because it was the worst power five strength of schedule at that point in the country. And they didn't really play anybody. So when they started playing some people that actually were tough, these quad one teams they, they, they were exposed a little bit for the inexperience and the immaturity that they had. I know a lot of people out there I've seen saying this is the worst basketball I've ever seen. Now, granted, the first half of that LSU game was pretty, pretty, pretty rough, but they came back and, and, and showed some gumption there in the second half to be able to kind of narrow that down, get it down to uh, as few as eight points uh, in, in the second half. The pieces are there. Buzz Williams did what he needed to do over the offseason to start building this program through a reset. It's just going to need a little bit more time. And, and everyone got excited because of the start. It's just going to need a little bit more time. Now, that all being said, 
they notch a couple of, of wins here against uh, Auburn or tennis, uh, 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 Alabama, went out the rest of the, se- uh, the slate, maybe get an SEC here or there. They're, mathematically, they could still potentially be an NCAA tournament, but I don't see that happening. They still could have a shot at the NIT, and they said any kind of postseason would be growth this season, and, I, and I'd have to agree. But if you go back to the last two seasons, the last three seasons, really, A&M has been lost looked lost and you kind of go, man, I don't see how they get out of this. Whereas to me, this, they're, they're looking a little bit lost right now, but it seems very much like immaturity. When you are losing by mostly about an average of six points a game, it, the, the, it's, it, you're right there. The, the program is right there. It just depends on development. And that will be the hallmark of Buzz tenure, Buzz Williams tenure moving forward. Yeah. And Buzz didn't get a chance to, um, work with and see guys like uh, Tomorrow Miller come to fruition because they ended up transferring. So I think that there is some some beef with that with fans and seeing had a pretty I wouldn't say a mass exodus, but there are quite a few players that left in this past off season. So those guys would have been in Buzz Williams's system yet another year, and that might have helped this team really come together. Now he got right, some talented but- guys. What? What's that? Oh, was it? But, but I argue, did, did they really want any of those guys still in the program? Is there any, maybe save. Did you save want your flag and rebounder? Okay. Let's, Emmanuel Miller was like a little bit of a different thing because he went with the assistant coach. But the other guys, I mean, maybe Savion flag, but would you trade any of the guys that are on the team now for any of those guys that left other than Emmanuel Miller? I mean, if it's if it comes down to did they spend another year and have they reached that maturity? I mean, you'd have to ask Buzz Williams that if if he would have been able if he thought that he really could have won another year with those guys. Now I think they lost two uh, two players that would have been in his system yet another year, and I think they would have really would have provided a lot for this team. Um, and I think they've got some talent, but going back to what Alex said, you need size, you need strength, and they just don't have a whole heck of a lot of that. And they are prone to running cold on offense. And they looked really good offensively at the beginning of SEC play. Uh, And there have been times where they have just gone straight cold. And the other thing that's really head-scratching is the losses. Yes, they've had some close losses in there, but then getting blown out at home by South Carolina, getting blown out at home against LSU, it's just it's kind of weird how that's all worked out because they've actually played seems like played better on the road here lately than they have at home. Maybe y'all think differently. I don't know. I, I think that had a little bit more to do with LSU the, having some strength back. They had they had their two best players out at Baton Rouge. They were back last night. Um, I, I think that there was a there's a little bit of it. You, you mentioned before. I think there was a little bit of a mental toll. That that's on this team now that's at seven when they were at three, uh, they were at, yeah, they were at two heading into that first LSU game as far as the losing streak went. So I, I think that there, there's a little bit at play there. I, I think there, there is some stuff that Buzz Williams could be at fault at. There's three things. I think that he could be at fault at for not doing everything he could for getting severe Wheeler, Wheeler in here. Uh, before his first year here, he was committed here. I think, I mean, the, 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 the talk around was that severe Wheeler was up at A&M's gym all through the summer, a Houston guy. Cause he, he was practicing. He, he knew the facilities back and forth cause he was up there all the time, but now he's gone from Georgia to Kentucky and is thriving. Kentucky didn't keep Kobe Brown 
a guy who committed was committed uh, to Kennedy in that first year. And, and he's up at Missouri and he's their, their best player right now. And he hasn't been able to find an impact five, an impact center in his time. And he's already gone through three. When you, if you look at Marfo, Aku and uh, Javante Brown, none of them have really developed or, or proven that they can really do it. Ethan Henderson defensively can be pretty good, but has really no offensive game. He needs to have an impact big in there. That's a game changer um, to really, make this system go. And I think those are three things that you can hold them at fault for. But as far as wondering and, and knowing if Buzz Williams and his staff are, are it or are the answer yet, that it's still about two years out on that. And he has the leeway of about two years on that. What do you think, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think y'all have summed it up. Well, I mean, at least if you're A&M, you're kind of wondering, all right, does the bleeding ever stop? I mean, that's just kind of the question and you kind of don't expect it to this Saturday when they play number one Auburn on the road. I know Auburn lost last night to Arkansas in overtime. Um, but you know, from there, there, there's actually a few winnable games, you know, Florida's kind of a middle tier team, uh, Vanderbilt on the road might be tricky, but they're kind of in the middle tier. And then, you know, A&M's got Georgia and Ole Miss. They, they've beaten those teams. If somehow A&M could maybe get on a four-game winning streak heading into that road game at Alabama, I mean, Alabama's been a really streaky team that's played up to really good teams and played down to teams that they probably should have beat. I mean, that's, that's a game that A&M could win. If somehow you could, by by God's grace, win six games getting into the SEC tournament. I mean, AM could AM could certainly jockey themselves into, you know, some kind of postseason bid and, you know, kind of put a put a 180 on what's kind of just been a a, a letdown of a of a season after a, a, a relatively strong start per se. Uh, you know, all circumstances given cert, uh, uh, you know, with the kind of a weaker non-conference schedule at least. I, I always worth mentioning and, and granted I'll preface this by saying that no, by no means do I think AM will make the NCAA tournament. I think that they should be shooting for and a, and a target would be the NIT, but that's going to be a pretty tough question as it is too. That all being said, you have to remember 2016, uh, seven, they went, they lost seven in a row before uh, making to the NCAA tournament. And in 2018, they lost five in a row, uh, I believe. Uh, uh, so that the losing streaks, Losing streaks don't necessarily mean anything until you see them in the context of the whole season. So uh, with that being said, Zach, you ready for some baseball? Yes. Yes. It's been great weather too. So I think that's part of it whenever it kind of actually feels like spring outside. So you're like, okay, it's baseball time. Well, it hasn't really been great weather. They've had some ice and 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 sleet to deal today, with leading today up. But yesterday were very very nice. You're though. right. You're right. And that, well, but you do know it's kind of getting to be baseball season when it actually does get really cold here. Because you know, like before Christmas here, it, it it was like 70 on Christmas here, wasn't it? So so Christmas time isn't really the cold time when it actually starts getting cold and there's freezing warnings. You know that baseball practice is about ready to get gearing up, and it's Jim Schlossnagel's first year uh, at the helm of the Aggies here uh, at Bluebell Park uh, real quick, because we're going to talk to coach Slossnagel next after this. What's, what's your initial take on this baseball team? What, what is, what is the, uh, what's the ceiling for Jim Schlossnagel's first season? Uh, well, certainly people are going to be expecting a postseason run. Uh, you know, I don't know if college world series is necessarily necessarily going to be on there, but um, you know, if, if the Aggies are able to somehow host a regional again, 
I think there would be lots of folks around here that are excited about that. And so, uh, yeah, I think this is a postseason team, um, you know, to, to see Schlossnagel in action and everything that he's put together. He's certainly been recruiting a heck of a class. So, um, you know, we'll see what that what that plays into as far as next year goes. But I think that they're going to have a decent team. I don't know if that I don't think that they're necessarily an Oklahoma or not an Oklahoma, but an Omaha bound team. But I think they'll be I think they'll be pretty solid. Alex, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I think if AM can get back to the NCAA tournament, just just get to a regional, I think that'd be considered a success. I mean, it's definitely been a transition period when you consider everything that AM lost. And, you know, there was some talent on that last last year's team, but you know, it it certainly wasn't good enough to make a to make the postseason. And uh, clearly because AM missed it. Um, so you know, this is definitely kind of in a in a rebuilding phase. You know, there there seems to be a lot of young talent, whether that's that incoming freshman class or just some transfers. Um, you know, we'll we'll see if you know guys like uh, Dylan Rock or Micah Dallas can actually make the impact of kind of what people have been saying. Uh, you know, they 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 they're capable of. You know, uh, you know Troy Clonch. I see. You know, he's he's a graduate transfer from Oregon State. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just curious how, how big of an impact some of these transfer guys can make and, and can A&M kind of weather the storm of this transition period and, you know, make something successful out of this first season uh, under, under uh, Schlossnagel. It, it'll be interesting. You mentioned some names there, Troy Clonch, you have uh, Cole K- uh, Kalar, Kalar, and uh, you have um, Jack Moss over at first base, three guys at D1 baseball selected as the, some of the top guys at their position in the year. I think defensively, I think offensively, they're, they're going to be a pretty good team. The biggest question mark, what's going to de- depend on if they are uh, a deep postseason team or, or just a postseason team is going to be the pitching because you're going to have your, your basically potentially your ace be Nathan Detmer, a guy who was a, a midweek guy last year who had a great season at Savannah this past summer. Uh, and then leaning on the, the transfer Micah Dallas too, uh, for, for one of those two guys to be the, the, uh, the Friday and Saturday guys. And then a whole lot of question marks after that. Some guys, just some experience you have uh Moo Menifee, you have Jonathan Childress back there. Um, you have some guys who transferred in, but I think the biggest question mark is going to be pitching and see how consistent that is going to be for the Aggies in their first year. Well, let's get right into it and preview that season. We talked to new head coach Jim Schlossnagel uh, leading up to that big series opening weekend, uh, and we'll hear that after this. What's going on? I'm here with Coach Jim Schlossnagel, the new A&M baseball coach here uh, doing his thing over at Bluebell Park at Olsen Field this year for the first time. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Um, let's just start right in with y'all Y'all been in spring practice for a, about a week and a half now. How has practice geared up and, and what have you seen from these guys so far uh, leading into uh, your, your first season? Yeah, thanks for having me, Travis. Uh... You know, I think uh, with the exception of the three, you know, two and a half or three days where we had the real rough rep, uh, cold spell and ice, uh, our practices have gone well. We've been able to, you know, get in the things we need to get in, which is always important this time of year, especially with the pitching, trying to build up those pitch counts, trying to get relievers ready, trying to get relievers back to back or, you know, pitching twice in a week, which we'll start doing that this week. Um, 
And, uh, you know, the one kind of constant or two constants that I've seen, number one, uh, just about every player, especially the pitching, the exception of a couple guys, you know, they're improved, you know, and whether that's good enough to win at this level in the SEC, we will find out. That's why you play the season. Uh, But they've certainly gotten better. And uh, I think the other thing that's been constant is the guy's willingness to work, willingness to be coached, willingness to buy in uh, their total and complete buy into the program and, and uh, team offense, team defense, that kind of thing. It doesn't mean the execution is perfect, far from it, uh, but the buy-in has been great and you can't have execution without buy-in. And, and so, uh, you know, very, very, it's a great group of guys to be around. We've gotten uh, very, very lucky one to have inherited a program uh, from coach Childress that was already uh, very, very sound in terms of discipline uh, standards and how about, you know, work ethic and that kind of thing. So um, very thankful to Coach Childers for that. And then uh, the group of transfers specifically, normally when you, you know, you take a significant number of transfers, not with every player, but there's usually some baggage that goes along with at least 50% of them. And at least to this point, you know, nobody's been punched in the mouth yet. but at, at least to this point, uh, the kids have really been great and they're all in They're They're all in with being an Aggie and everything that comes with that. And so that has really helped. And the, just the meshing of those two groups, which was something I was really concerned about uh, when you have, especially position player wise, you have a significant number of returning players and then you bring in some older transfer type things. You can really, you can get an ego clash there that, affects your dugout, affects your locker room, affects your team chemistry. And to this point, we haven't had that. Now, we, when you play an inter-squad game, you get to post two different lineups and just about everybody plays. That's going to be tested here in the coming weeks. And and that'll be a, that's a challenge every team has to face. And, uh, you know, we'll find out. Sure. I, I want to get more to, of course, on the diamond, some of those players stuff. But I know that there's something <laughs> – as dear to your heart. And that's the look and feel of, of, of what this baseball experience will be like with the fans. So let's start off with what is whoop city? <laughs> you know, whoop city is, uh, it's something that, um, you know, I felt like, uh, at some of the more high profile, high profile programs in the country, you find a way to, to brand your program. And there's so many awesome traditions about Texas A&M, the 12th man, um, Aggie land, um, obviously all of our yell practice and, and everything that goes along with that, uh, sawing them off, war hint, the war hymn, all those things. I mean, there's already a, a bunch of things in place and, you know, I just felt like, uh, kind of like you have Vanderbilt has Vandy boys and, and at TCU, we had frog ball USA, which, which was just created two years ago up there actually by an outside firm along with, with myself and the coaching staff. Um, Felt like we could do something neat here that wouldn't pull away from certainly don't want to pull away from all of the amazing traditions, but just want to try to add to it. That's maybe baseball, a little more baseball specific and um, spent some time with an, you know, an advertising group and went through a lot of things. And, and this is what we kind of came up with. And so it just kind of represents the energy and the tradition of of Texas A&M baseball and, and kind of our own little corner over here on, on Bush and Olson. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and for, for the fans, what, what might feel or, or, or seem a little, little different, new and exciting about the, the, the atmosphere and what's going to go on during A&M baseball games that you might've had your, your thumbprints on a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think, I think my, my goal has always been uh, to, to combine all of the great things that minor league baseball was about in terms of entertainment. That's not necessarily related to the baseball field and combine that with all of the things that are great about college athletics that are on the, that are field related. Right. So I think the very best programs um, that draw the greatest fans and have the greatest game experience, um, they, that's what they do. So whether it be, you know, the music, um, whether it be, you know, and we, we, we certainly want to tailor that to every age of fan. Uh, but in general, we want it to be energetic. We want it to um, attract all audiences, specifically the students. Um, that's what's great about, you know, the 12th man, the student body in particular. Um, yes, I'm including the dance team. And I know there's some people that that don't like that. And, and I understand. Um, I understand, you know, to a point. Uh, but my daughter was a, you know, she was in competitive dance through through high school. She was a cheerleader in high school. Uh, and we have a, you know, I think a role of a, of a college coach in any sport is also be supportive of, of the, of the other entities on campus. And, and part of that is our, is our dance team. And, you know, we're going to do that tastefully. Uh, we bought, we, we bought out of our budget. Uh, we bought them baseball specific uniforms that the, that the, the fans will see. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And, um, and so you'll see things like that. We're going to maximize the bubbles thing uh, that you, your fans will see that when they come to the first game, we're trying to involve the core uh, fans will can't announce anything yet. Cause we're still trying to work all this out. Um, really going to have a section 12 out in right field is going to be primarily for students. We're going to have a party deck out there where they can, you know, get food and drink and really turn that into a festive thing. We, we have to make this place, uh, not that it already isn't, but just grow on uh, the fact that it's very entertaining for the novice fan, right? Mm. The fam the family of four that just wants to come to a ball game to spend a Friday night or a Saturday or Sunday afternoon that may not necessarily be all in on who wins and loses, but they're entertained. Uh, and then we also have to make it a tough place to play. You know, I can I can promise you that having not as an SEC coach, but you know, I've played in a regional in Arkansas. I've played at Ole Miss. I've played at LSU. Um, you know, I, I, I know what, how hard it is to go in and you can't even hear yourself think. And that's what we want to do uh, here at, at Bluebell Park. And again, not, not that that hasn't happened before. It has because I've been in the other dugout uh, <laughs> during super regionals and regionals when you can't hear yourself think. But I think uh, the more we can build on that and build on the things that Coach Chandler, Coach Johnson and Coach Childress have put in place. Um, I think, I think that's great. And so I'm sure there'll be things people really like, um, but I'm, and I'm sure there'll be things some, some people don't, 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 don't think are that great, but I think the greatest example we have, the greatest prototype we have is sitting right across the street at Kyle field. And so we want to really model ourselves at, after some of the things that, 
that going on over there. Not all of them, but but some of them for sure. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, starting a, a a radio show, a baseball coach radio show that'll go five times and some great throwback uniforms, some good uniform looks that fans will be able to see. Well, let's move on to the diamond now, of course. And I know it's been about a half a year since we've really kind of delved into this, but we, we have gotten into it, but we've delved into it. Let, let's revisit a little bit th- this coaching staff that you've put together, because I know when I talk to a lot of these transfers from these players that are coming into this summer, the way that they explain it is it's an all-star coaching staff. What, what can be said about the guys you brought in and why, why these guys? Yeah, just exactly what you said. Now the proof's in how we play, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you have to perform and, you know, whether it be this year and the years to come, that, that, that'll be the true test. But uh, certainly number one, it's just a great group of, of, of men and women. Um, I mean, just phenomenal. Uh, you know, obviously, um, everybody is, is at the forefront of what their, um, specific area is in terms of whether it be Mike early in hitting or Nate Yeski in pitching or, or, uh, Nolan Kane and, and really any facet of the game, but specifically catching and obviously recruiting, um, you know, they're, they're very, very good at what they do. Uh, the chemistry among our staff is amazing. We, we have a lot of, we have a lot of good times together. We enjoy be, being at work. We enjoy, uh, we enjoy doing things away from the field and, I think any great organization, you know, that's what you're going to see. And so, uh, again, none of us have been punched in the mouth yet. We haven't played a ball game, so that'll be the true test. But uh, I think I think our staff is, you know, they're loyal, they work hard, and they're knowledgeable. And that's those are the three most important qualities of of any coach, but it's certainly an assistant coach. And and so my job is to try to try and navigate that ship, give everything that give everyone within our organization whether it be a coach, a strength coach, a trainer, a mental sports coach, whatever, give them the tools they need to be successful because ultimately it's not about the coaches. It's about the players and, and how can we help these players become the best version of themselves so, the, so that the results will take care of themselves on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, offensively, how might this team look a little bit different than maybe what Aggie fans have expected and seen the last couple of years? You know, I mean, I can't really speak to what they've seen the last couple of years. All I can speak to is what I believe a good offensive team, a good team offense looks like. Uh, and certainly the teams that that I was a part of playing against 2015, 2016, uh, pretty special offensive teams uh, at Texas A&M. Teams that, you know, what, what we want to be as an offense is we don't want to be one dimensional, right? Um, we don't want to be a running team. We don't want to be a power team. Because all of those things can come and go, right? A team that just runs the bases and has speed, well, that can be nullified. Number one, you can't steal first base. That's still not a rule. Uh, and number two, a, a pitching staff that does a good job holding the baseball, you know, quick quick delivery to home plate, a catcher that can throw, all of that stuff can nullify a, a team that just runs bases and a team that just hits the ball out of the ballpark, um, you know, field conditions, the pitcher you're facing, the wind, I mean, uh, everything's going to play a role in that. So we want to be able to do a little bit of everything. And so, you know, I think um, over the course of time that in recruiting, that's what you'll see us have. I mean, I want athletic players, guys that don't rely on the toughest thing to do in all of sports is take a round bat and a round ball and try and hit it square, right? And then have that be a hit. Because you can hit it hard all you want, but it goes right at somebody. The box score says you failed. So, you know, you want you want players that bring more to the field than just hitting. So being able to play defense, being able to run bases, 
being have a high, high, high baseball intellect. Those that's what we eventually want to get to. And I think we have some of that on this team. Um, so um, we, the goal of an offense is to score runs and hitting is a part of that. So our offense philosophy wise begins with on base percentage. So being able to get on base, right. Mm-hmm. And then being able to play good situational baseball, what I call winning baseball, um, you know, be, you know, what, what is the game asking me for right now? Is there a runner at second base with nobody out? You know, is there runner on third base and the infield is in, what is the game calling for right now, other than for me just to get a base hit. And then, so that's situational baseball. And then the third thing is hitting with runners in scoring position, two out hitting, which is a really, really hard thing to practice. Uh, it's, it's more of a mentality than it is anything else. And so our offense will be based around that. Uh, certainly we want to play offense offensively, not recklessly, but offensively. And, uh, you know, I think you'll, I think fans will see that if we can get on first base, I mean, that's, that's the thing. And you don't want to have players with high strikeout totals and low walks. Um, even if they're running into home runs, you got to hit a, ho- a lo- whole lot of home runs to overcome, you know, punching out 50 and 60 times and walking less than 20 times. That's, that's not the most ideal player. So, mm. um, but that's the kind of offense we want to be. Defensively, uh, you bring back Logan Britt. Uh, you've had a lot of great things to say about Cly Harrison at shortstop, uh, but also D1 baseball ranked uh, Cole Kaler, one of the top second basemen this year, Jack Moss, one of the top first basemen, and Troy Clunch, one of the top catchers, uh, three guys you brought in from, from the transfer portal. Um, how do you see those guys fitting in, and, and uh, how, um, how important are those guys as pieces defensively moving forward? Well, there's never been a good baseball team anywhere without a good catcher and a good shortstop. It's mm-hmm. not possible. I mean, obviously you got to have great pitching, but if you have great pitching and a bad catcher, all of a sudden that pitching not, isn't nearly as good. So um, in Troy Clodge and the other guys that play those posi- that position uh, are quality too, but Troy's certainly special. And uh, in Kalai, uh, to this point, I've had, I had some really good shortstops in my career. Uh, Kalai, at this point, I've never coached him in a real game, mm-hmm. uh, but at this point he's as good as any that I've coached. Um, Kaler, Cole Kaler was, he could flip over to shortstop and almost be in the similar conversation. He, he did that at Hawaii. He was, you know, they have these defensive awards across the country and he was a nominee for all of those. Uh, and if he ends up playing second base, which is what it looks like today, um, you know, you have really, you know, two really good ones up the middle. The key to that is Trevor Werner has to be able to play third base. Mm-hmm. I believe, even though the second baseman handles more balls, the balls he handles are way easier than the balls at third base. So if you're going to be adequate at an infield position, you'd rather that be second base than third base. Third base has a lot of tough plays, a lot of handling bunts, all of these kind of things. So the key to us having a good middle infield is that Trevor Warner can play third. And right now he's proven he's capable of doing that. Uh, Jack is, Jack is certainly one of the best hitters on our team and he's, and he's, and he's, he's done well at first base still has improvement to make. Um, and Logan is, you know, he's a good athlete in center field, you know, he he can really throw, uh, and he, but he has improvement to make, you know, the, the, the better the defensive outfielder, the more shallow you can play because you take away hits that way, but to play shallow, you have to be good at going back on the baseball, which is something he spent a lot of time at. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited, you know, to take over a program, uh, and have, you know, those two guys potentially be your middle. 
uh, Jack Moss at first base, clutch behind the plate, and an athlete like Logan in center, that's a really good starting point. Mm, and I just realized, yeah, I, I, back here, you, you know something about good uh, good thir- third and first baseman uh, with, with this guy, too. So yeah. uh, uh, so we'll, <laughs> we'll finish it up with the pitching. You got uh, Micah, uh, Micah Dallas coming in the transfer portal. Uh, Nathan Detmer had a great year with the Savannah Bananas this summer, brought in a, a lot of other guys in the re- relief. How, how much of this team's success this season will be about some of these pitchers stepping up, stepping up to that next level and, and really breaking through? Yeah, we can talk about all the other things you've asked me about team offense, you know, defense, which is a part of pitching for sure. Um, but at the end of the day, the game begins and ends with starting pitching. I mean, that's where it starts. And if, if, if you're good in everything else, but you're just okay in starting pitching, boy, you, you, you got an uphill battle. Uh, it's like not being able to stop them in football, you know, when you can't play defense. So um, those are some ugly and long games. So uh, but, you know, I think Nathan has gotten better specifically. He's gotten a lot better here in the in the spring um, with his pitches, uh, with his work with Coach Yeski. Micah Dallas certainly has track record, um, both as a starter and a reliever. I don't know that we're going to be ready uh, th- at the beginning of the year for him to do anything other than start. But it, it'll depend on how the other guys develop that are potentially those kind of pitchers. Uh, so but those are two really good guys to at least give you a chance um, as you get going and hopefully they continue to grow. Uh, You know, Micah needs to really become more self-aware of who he is as a pitcher. And if he buys completely buys into that, then he, he has a chance to be a real good one. Um, And then we have a a freshman left-hander by the name of Prager, Ryan Prager, who uh, is, is very talented, very mature beyond his years as a valedictorian of his high school class. Uh, Ideally we would have a, you know, uh, you know, a couple of years from now, when we have a high end freshman like this, we'd like to be able to spoon feed him a little bit. Uh, but I don't think we're going to have that luxury. And uh, so Ryan, you know, he's certainly going to be a part of as, as it stands today, keeping everybody healthy. He, he's certainly going to be a part of, uh, you know, of, of our starting rotation in, in one of those four games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we'll close out with this. If you, your hope for this season, how can you sum that up in a, in a word or phrase? What is, what is your hope for this first, this first season in a, in a word or phrase uh, heading into it? Yeah. I mean, I just want our team to a stay healthy and B become the very best version of itself, you know, and, and whatever that becomes, you know, whether that be in the NCAA tournament, whether that be in Omaha, you know, obviously those are the, those are always the goals, but uh, you know, I, I think certainly this team, if, if it stays healthy and handles the ups and downs of the season, like any other team, but we're but it has to continually get better. I mean, we are not an Omaha team today, uh, but we have the potential to be that kind of club if we, you know, continue to improve. And that's what, you know, the games against other opponents, specifically the SEC, that exposes what weaknesses or areas of improvement your teams have. And then you spend the season getting better at that, hopefully, if you're capable of that, physically capable. So uh, we'll see. But um, kids have been awesome. And and uh, so if we can become the very best version of ourselves, then I'm OK with that wherever that wherever that ends us. Coach, thank you so much for your time and good luck on the start of the season. Thanks, Travis. Gigum. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, the way it must have seen. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good.
make sure you're sticking with me. Don't 